0: Amen. This morning, we will finish up our series in Mythbusters. Um, So starting in Easter, we've been talking the past couple weeks of very famous sayings that we know as Christians saying in the church that may or may not be necessarily true and scripturally sound. Um, On Easter, we started off with, Jesus didn't really come back to life. Um, Continued on with, God won't give me more than what I can handle. A valley means a wrong turn. And everything happens for a reason. And I get left off to finish off um, probably my favorite one is God only helps those who help themselves. Um, Which is just a very awesome, encouraging verse of trying to continue on your faith. But it's a little twisted and a little skewed. Um, I was really interested to to see where this phrase came from um, and how long we've been saying it for. Originally, it came and was coined from Benjamin Franklin back in 1733 in his uh, book, The Poor Richard's Almanac. Um, he did not create the word, but it was a phrase that stuck out in the book after all these hundreds of years. is something we just kind of caught on to. Um, and kind of the kicker here is that he, Benjamin Franklin, never considered, um, considered himself a Christian. Um, he considered himself as a deist, which basically a person who's a deist, is they believe in a God. They're kind of very separate. They're very far off. There's no relationship status there. So we're using this term of, from a person who kind of coined it in our Christian lives and he didn't even claim the word Christianity. Um, it, was, it really talks about having like the self help religion kind of stance, right? If I do these things, God will bless me in my favor. And so obviously we know coming from Easter, that's not really the case, right? One of the easiest ways to summarize that um, is through this kind of couple of scriptures called the Roman's Road. Now, if you've never heard of that word, basically it just summarizes all of Romans and kind of puts into a couple of verses what Paul just talks over and over and over again. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, hello, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. for the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. In Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's this basic foundation of obviously we know that God is our Savior. He came to save us, right? It's not the other way around. It's not us working ourselves up to Jesus and making sure we can match that status quo, right? But... At a basic level, I think that's an easy way to kind of understand um, where we are with God and our relationship with him, right? Um, but to this, I kind of want to take a couple steps further. and I think there's, there's a lot of things in this saying right here, God only helps those who help themselves, and kind of flip it on its head and really talk about how we go and love on others and how, go, how Jesus loves on us. So here's where we dive into our scripture today. It's Matthew 18, 21 through 27 is what we're going to start off with. Peter, or excuse me, Jesus talking to the the disciples in a parable. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him tens of thousands of bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had, all that he had, had to be sold and repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Now, this is just an awesome example of grace of what Jesus is talking about to the disciples. Um, very, very quickly when I was reading this verse, just kind of example that was thrown into my head is right now, next week for Georgia Southern, we have all our finals week coming up, and all our students are just very nervous about our grades. We're starting our butt off now, not at the beginning of the semester, we're All our grades are at the last little bit. We finally get to know our professors because we're coming in for office hours, right? And we're saying, please bump my grade up just a couple points. I deserve it because I only came to class like half the time, right? (laughs) Typical college students. Maybe myself included, but, you know. Uh -uh. So there's this very, very typical approach of like, begging for mercy, begging for grace in those instances. And obviously that we know that Jesus is the one that gave us grace. I think that comparison is so great from when we start with Jesus to ourselves and then how we interact with other people, right? How how does Jesus treat us in comparison of how we treat others? Here's kind of where we get into it right here. Matthew 18, 28 through 35. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged to me. Shouldn't you have have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So when we talk about, God only helps those who helps themselves. I think it's an easy comparison for us to God, right? But when we all have a couple people in our life that kind of get under our skin, that have either wronged us in some way or have hurt us in those facts, and we we don't want to forgive them, and we can't really mend that relationship at all. And so this, this compare, comparison in the parable um, from the servant who got the mercy to just handing out all this torture and pain to his servant, man, that's... It's a two-sided kind of thing. He was given grace, but he didn't give it back to his servant. It's, you know, if you were handed this free gift, why not continue on that trend? And I think that is an issue I think we need to address as a church is when we go and approach other people and when we have this loving desire to know Jesus... I hope we have a loving desire to know other people as well. I hope we have the same encouragement and the same words that we have for God as much as we have for other people. And I think that's easy upon people that we know and we're very familiar with and we grew up with. But if there's some if there's some kind of new person that steps into your life, and you may not agree on a lot of things, whether it's politics or religion or work or the whole nine yards, right? Like there's a very hot hostility kind of right there, and you can't get along as much, and so that that forgiveness factor doesn't work. We should be a church of grace over judgment every day. Um, a, a good example of this is <clears throat> now growing up, I kind of go back and forth from Atlanta. I get to see my friends every so often. And so I have this one guy I'll meet up with every couple months and go out to dinner and <clears throat> I've gotten better, but th- I had a tendency to always be late to our meeting when we only get to see each other every couple months. Um, and for the first couple times, I'd be at least 15 to 20 minutes late. When he's he's trying to eat, he's very hungry. He's already ordered his sweet tea, like he's good, he's ready to go, and he's just waiting on me to get there, right? And I always just show about 15, 20 minutes late, and he kind of just swallowed that fact, um, and then kind of called me out on it a couple weeks afterwards. He was like, "Trip." Like, what—I what, picked the Waffle House that is closest to you so that you can be on time and you're still 15 minutes late, right? How do you do that? And so there was, there was a lot of forgiveness in those facts because he really wanted to see me and kind of catch up and kind of have that friendship and that bond. Um, he could have gotten mad and could have just said, you know, we, don't, we can't meet anymore. You're just being ridiculous. You just have a tendency to be late. Um, but he has, he has that forgiveness. He doesn't want to forgive me up front, but we, he wants to keep me accountable for me being there on time. God wants us to be accountable for how we're treating other people in those moments. <clears throat> Forgiving others is, the, is for the betterment of you, the other person, and your church community. If there's some hostility between you and another person, that can affect a lot of different people. You know, I wish when you moved from high school to college, there was no drama. Or there was no, you know, bickering back and forth for friends. But when I, when I moved from a high school ministry to a college ministry, it's the same exact thing. And so when you have that hostility towards people, you can feel it in the room. And there's just a lot of tension um, between us as like a leadership team trying to work together for the betterment of God. And we can't really do that because it's, it's these two people are kind of affecting the room. They almost need to kind of sit down and talk it out, right? You know, when we have this judgment in front of us, and I think, it's, I think it's an easy assumption that us as churchgoers, us who have a weekly relationship with God can judge those who are outside of the church, who don't have that personal relationship with Jesus and don't get to see those moments all the time. There's almost an instant kind of... Well, you know, maybe if they came to church every week, then we could have a conversation or maybe he would become more like or maybe they would have an awakening moment and get to know Jesus and know factors and we can get along in those moments so well. You know, our our judgment may have the first word, but grace always has the last word. Jesus cares about those people so much on the ones that are on the outskirts, the ones that may or may not fit in, that they're struggling with other things in those moments. And kind of growing up in a church and trying to jump outside of that box is real hard. Um, it's, it's such a powerful thing when I get to know someone who has not grown up in church and kind of seeing their background and their history and their story. <clears throat> the law contemns the best of us, but grace saves the worst. The law accuses, grace acquits. The law exposes, grace exonerates. The law, the law diagnoses, grace delivers. The law says cursed, grace says blessed. The law says slave, grace says son. The law says you're guilty as charged, but grace has been yelling at us for 2,000 years, you are forgiven. Why can't we have that attitude towards other people, regardless of where they're standing or where they're coming from? Um, especially, you know, preaching to students, um, I try to have that vulnerability factor. I try to kind of make things real life, kind of talking to them face-to-face and saying, I'm not this perfect you know, stature of a person. You know, there, there are flaws in me that I have gone through, and I, I want to help you out with those struggles going on later on. Bringing, when they bring other friends into church who have may or may not grown up to church, it's, it's even such a more humbling moment because we grow more as a family and I want this to not be an inner circle, culture, Christianity, where we're all just popped up in a bubble, right? I think that's really comfortable, and I think that's really good, and it's really beneficial. But I would love to have an open door policy door. people can come into the church and feel loved no matter what, right? And I think that's why church is intended for. A couple weeks ago, I uh, invited a friend to church and um, was just trying to connect him with a couple different ministries that were around Southern's campus. And he just kind of shook his head, and he was like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a church guy, you know. I've, I have all these problems. I have all these issues. I was like, me too. And he was like, well, I don't think I would fit in much at all. I think, you know, all these people have these good, worshipful, singing voices and can sing so beautifully and all these things. I was like, my voice sucks. <laughs> like, i can't, I can't sing at all. And what I was trying to show him in those moments is, like, we don't all fit in, but we're all here together because Jesus brought us together. He wanted us to be together as a family, like, to come together and worship him no matter what. If you can't sing, I want you to sing at the top of your lungs because you're singing to Jesus. You're not singing to the person in front of you, you know? And what that conversation told me was, I don't think we're doing our job right. I don't don't think I— we are taking enough initiative to go outside of our church walls and go and love people on those factors. And it's hard, to be honest, right? Like, we have our own personal things, our own personal issues, and our own personal battles that we're dealing with other people. But to kind of take a second and move past ourselves and to say, Jesus gave me that grace. Jesus gave me this initiative. I want to go and help those people better themselves as well. And all you have to do is bring them in and tell them your testimony. It's not about you trying to bring these people to convert them in. It's you sharing what God has done in your life, and they're like, "Okay, wow! Like He has transformed you. God has moved in your life. You're you're not the center of attention, right?" What <clears throat> in my in my classes the past couple weeks, you know, it's it's a little more fun to daydream rather than listen. Um, so I've been daydreaming this past couple of weeks of. Um, what I've been going through with this church family and all that I have seen and kind of processed through and with so i I love to dream I love to dream really big for the students, but something just kind of popped in my mind was what if it, at the front of a church we just had this welcome home sign that anyone that stepped into this door felt like this was home that this is something that they could feel safe and secure and something where they can be fed and be able to go and hang out and have community and fellowship. I think we do a really good job of that here, but could we take it a step further? If we went out of our way to go and touch other people's lives that we may not touch people before, do you think these pews would be a little bit more filled? I'm obsessed with the love of God. I don't know if you can tell. I'm obsessed with Jesus, what he's doing in my life what he continues to do through others. We're going through a series in a Bible study with the youth called With Acts, and what's awesome is seeing these regular people, um, Paul or whoever else, be transformed by the power of God and say they want to go and love on people to the best way possible. And it's kind of mind-blowing. You know, when, you, when you're when you reading through scripture, you can kind of be very passive about it, and maybe the fourth or fifth time that you read it, but there's There's something that sticks out and it's saying, these children, this youth, this church family, there's something going on here. There's the power and the love of God that's being processed that can be changed to reach the rest of the matter, that can be changed to reach the rest of Southeast Georgia, to reach the rest of the United States. If we're so divided and we're we're so stuck on all these issues, what, what if church is the starting factor in that, that we're showing what real love looks like, and we're able to go across the table and try to put on someone else's shoes for a minute and say, I get it, I understand. Let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done in my life and how he can change yours in such a special way. It sucks to see so much division, um, I think, in my lifetime, and very, very, college kids think they know it all, right? We just get a very big head, and we love to think that we're 100% right and we have all the life, um, you know, life beyond our years. And so it's, it's so hard to not get mad at those people. It's so hard not to be hostile to, towards those people I may or may not agree with, right? But God has given me so much grace and mercy and love that it's almost like a pouring out factor that, I'm this cup, and God is just filling me up all the way to the brim, and I have to do that, and able to not get mad at those people. I have to stay filled up with God's grace and God's mercy and God's love, not to be hostile towards towards those people. God helps all people. He doesn't just help people that help themselves. Jesus, we love you so much. Um, we, we under, understand what you have done for us in your life, Lord, um, that we're humbled by the fact that, that we get to live out that true and daily life of that you came to save us, that you were on the cross and thinking of us in our lives. God as, I ask that as, as a country that we get to get to come together in your love and your mercy and compassion, and you get to change hearts. For you, Lord. That we get to see your power and your glory move through us. And it's nothing that we have to offer. It's something that we do on our own. But, God, that we're just vessels for you. That we are going to choose to be with you and to stand with you and to go and love on people that may or may not deserve that love In that fact, But you don't care. You want to love on those people regardless if they choose you or not. God, as we're continuing on with the next couple weeks of our lives and things going on, God, I ask that we remember. We remember you in the tough moments. We remember you in the moments where we're angry and we're mad and we just can't handle everything. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.